You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 618 for June 14th, 2023. On this episode, saxophonist Ingrid Lawbrock. Just a note that in the months of June and July 2023, I'm going to release three episodes for both of those months, just because I got a little ahead of myself with, with recording interviews and I want to uh, get them to you in a more timely fashion. So this month and next, you'll get three each month, and then in August, we'll go back to the normal two per month. Okay? Cool. Members of the Jazz Session also get This I Dig of You, the Patreon bonus show on which I ask the guest from the main show to talk about something non-musical that is bringing them joy. Ingrid talks about getting out in nature and also about cooking Indian food. You can hear the bonus show by becoming a member for $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. That really helps me keep the show going, which is important to me, and it seems like probably important to you. You'll also get early access to every episode when you become a member, and you'll get some occasional behind-the-scenes info, other bonus shows, and for every episode, I choose one Patreon supporter to name as the sponsor of that episode. This episode was brought to you by Hans Niebuhr. Thanks, Hans. Ingrid Lawbrock's new album is called The Last Quiet Place. Here's the opening track. Ingrid Lobrock, welcome back to the Jazz Session. Hi, it's glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. We are here to talk about uh, The Last Quiet Place, your new recording, um, which I am really, really enjoying. It, the recording and some of the things I've read about it um, kind of reminded me of a couple of conversations I've had recently with folks uh, about meditation and Zen Buddhism. And in those conversations, I was saying to people that in my experience, one of the 
dangers, for lack of a better word, of spending a lot of time in in meditation is that you develop this kind of clear-eyed view of the world, but sometimes what you see is pretty difficult. And I kind of feel like that's a not dissimilar experience to reading the work of Elizabeth Colbert, who I know informed this record. And I wondered if maybe we could start by you kind of setting the table and maybe talking about about her work and how it how it helps provide some context for the the recording. Yeah, I guess I was reading um, uh, her book, The Sixth Extinction, at the time when I was when I was uh, writing the record. And it just struck me that, as you said, she's incredibly informed about this, but she also writes about it in a way that everybody can understand and really visualize. It's not very scientific. I mean, while she's scientific about it, she can and she explains it very, very well. And it's actually an easy read in a way. Um, and what really transpires through her books is like how far we have um, gone in messing this up for us and how there's really no return at all. Like now we're kind of reverse engineering the reverse engineering. So we're right. just like in this space where we, um, where like, it seems really desperate measures, but people are clearly working on it too. Like, I mean, there is definitely always a nod to the people who are not giving up on trying to um, turn this in, 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 you know, figure out a, a way of salvaging whatever there is to salvage. So yeah, the, it's a, it's always quite dark to read her books, but also there is always a sort of a glimmer of, oh my God, these people are coming up with these insane things, which probably if we last another few decades, will then have to be reverse engineered again. You know? yes. So yeah, it, it, it is a kind of a study on how, how bad human beings are for their own um, survival, really and how how um our tendencies to um uh also our tendencies to constantly want to innovate everything can work against us and for us um so she touches i think she touches on both and i guess the title um of my record the last quiet place um stems from her really kind of saying that there, nothing has been untouched um, on the planet, basically. Nothing has been untouched by humankind. Is the record an attempt to capture that idea in some way or to e express this concept of the there being no untouched space? I'm, I'm curious, I guess, no. about how everything you just said, whether whether it even translates into the music that you were No, it's it's not really a programmatic record in that sense. It's just like, it just happened to be the um, the um, book I was reading at the time. And mm. at the same time, um, I draw a lot of, like, it. there is no last quiet place is basically what transpires and what we all know. And I think for me, um, I am always trying to find an inner quiet place when I'm composing. So this is kind of what I'm, what my preference of for like like at least to, to sow the seed of a composition, comes from a still kind of an in really an inward place. How do you do that? Um, personally, like I seem to, it it seems to work best for me when I'm moving, 
you know, some people uh, like like to be very still. I like to actually physically move. I think it's also I grew up in the countryside. I was always kind of out and out in nature. And this this is like a thing that I still really need. Um, so for me, it's, you know, it can be really long walks or bike rides or um, uh, the ocean. You know, it, it tends to have to do something with being outside and being uh, being um, on the move. I also um, have started, this, this also started in 2019, um, doing yin yoga, which is kind of like a very, very calm form of yoga, where you hold positions for a very, very long time, and it starts with a 20-minute meditation. And so so there's also that aspect of, um, in, in meditation, it attracts me where you kind of peel away layers and you go deeper into a <clears throat> into a place where things come to you rather than you searching for them. Compositionally speaking, what tends to come to you? What uh, are you getting concepts or melodic ideas or what? I'm curious. Mm -hmm. What what tends to yeah. bubble up to the surface? I think for me, what happens more of often than than not is like uh, uh, full pieces of sort of more con con concepts or kind of plans of what a piece might do with melodic fragments or with fragments of of like sonic kind of textures um that i often most of the time i just jot them down in in words very quickly and just have these sort of big plans and then you know they often get changed because you can't uh what what transpires or what what you kind of visualize in one moment maybe the next day you look at it again and it's it's not quite the same it mutates as you go along and especially when once you put pen to paper and you actually start writing down the physical notes or wherever you write those you know some uh, i still write with pen and paper um uh just the act i i, I guess like you connect you to your brain differently once you put your pen, pen to paper and sometimes and these big maps that i have kind of remind me of what the outset was what the onset was and and redirect me to that original kind of seed that's so interesting i uh i'm a poet and sometimes like right before sleep i'll think of a line for example that in my brain clearly suggests the rest of the poem and i think okay i'll get this line down but then in, in the morning i look at that line and sometimes i can't really connect it anymore with the yeah. structure that it so clearly suggested the night before and something wholly other will come out of it um yes yeah, I want that sounds a little bit like what you're 
describing not all the time but at least it sounds a little bit like yeah and you know sometimes it, it, and sometimes that's good we also i'm an improviser you know you also go with with things and sometimes sure. better ideas come out you know you know i'm not i'm not i um totally fixated on the first idea being the best one you know and i have a i'm definitely a, a proverbial pile of of music that I've kind of written this way that I'm not using, for example, right? Like, sure. So you, you kind of go and you, you go through it and through it and through it and eventually you come out with a sort of distilled version. Um, and what you said is interesting because I think a lot of good ideas come either in this, this kind of state when you're just about to go to sleep or when you wake up. And I actually do know quite a lot of writers, composers, painters, and any artists who, who really write from that zone because you're, and, and it is a meditative zone. It's a zone where your body has slowed down, where, where you're actually finally letting go of all these kind of day-to-day -day things that you have to do, you have to think about, you have to, you have to actually accomplish or whatever. And you kind of access a sort of a more imaginary space. You mentioned, um, that sometimes you're writing ideas down about the sonic landscape. And having listened to this record quite a lot now, the first thing that struck me about it, I before I read anything about it or anything else, was in fact the combination of sounds. I, there's a lot of things I'd like to get into about the sound of this record. But I think the first one is, it is a really, to, to my ear, a really beautiful example of hearing incredibly individualistic players like people who really sound like themselves yes in this really beautiful conversation like it they don't really sound like themselves at the expense of the music they sound like themselves in service of the music um and so i maybe that's a way even before we go further to talk about who's on the record because <laughs> i think that's yes. important and then maybe to talk about why they're on the record yeah when i uh, put a band together or put a project together or write for people i, t I tend to imagine their voices within my music so i i am always i've always been drawn to people who have really strong individual voices and like something that is really special to them and everybody on this record has that and i, I think we've all had a kind of a, um, some kind of relationship prior to this recording uh, except for Mass Swift, who I've only, yeah, she played in my orchestra project, but I had not really, like, I've, I've heard her in concerts and I've heard her playing with Peter Evans and some other, uh, and also with Tomika Reed and Sylvia Bolognese in the, in the um, trio here now, but I had not worked with her prior to that. But I, I did hear her in this trio, especially with Sylvia and with Tomika, and I thought this, Tomika and her play so ex super well together yeah so I, th I think everybody is just a really strong player there are strong players who also can deal with hard written music which is kind of important for me because i do want to have um those frameworks in there so we have tomika reed who's been uh, who's on cello um tomika has been a friend for a long time and i think i started playing with her in Mike Reed's project, Living by Lanterns, this is like over a decade ago now. And we've always kind of been in touch or played together. And um, so she was an obvious choice. She's a, just a super strong player and improviser and uh, has a really strong rhythmic ability. Um, Brandon Seabrook on guitar, 
I first played with this Andrew, Drew, Andrew Drury's group content provider. And I think from the really very beginning, we've always had these things where this thing where we've almost become like a, a melded instrument. We sort of like, um, we almost play like one instrument together, which is a really interesting um, place to be in. We have a shared kind of sonic space. Um, and we also have a shared uh, tendency to fragment things and interject things and go very quickly from one thing to another and kind of to combine them. So, so with him, I just have so much fun playing together in that sense. Was that a thing um, you just discovered in the course of playing with him, as opposed to something you you talked about and conceptualized? It was just a thing oh, yeah. that happened. Yeah. No, I, I I don't tend to talk about the improvised parts with people. I just let people play themselves <laughs> which is which to me is like i think i think my compositions work in a way where like yeah i create frameworks where i think these players will sound good in and they will do something that is where they can express themselves but that all they will also find uh, naturally co um, combine the written music with the with the improvisation um that's part of i think a lot of jazz writers write or a lot of people yeah a lot of musicians drawn to improvise music or jazz composed that way. Um, uh, Mass Swift on violin, I uh, she played in my orchestra piece, but I didn't know her that well. Um, but I did hear her with Tomika Reed and Sylvia Bolognese in, in their trio here and now. So I knew that uh, she played plays really well with um, Tomika. And I also knew that she can nail very difficult violin parts, <laughs> which was important to me too, because partially this record is almost functions like a string group that that has to delve into kind of, for the want of a better word, a new music or a classical um, side of things. So it was important to me that to have that um, ability in the violinist that I chose. Uh, Michael Formanek I've known for years, mostly um, uh, through listening, and I always wanted to find a, a um, context to, to play with him. He's such a great jazz player, but he's also an, an incredible arco player and a really good improviser, um, full of ideas, creativity, just beautiful to work with. Yeah, and uh, Tom Rainey happens to be my husband as well as the most imaginative and compositional drummer I know is just always a pleasure and fantastic to work with. You know, it's, this has become so much the backbone of my, uh, of my work, working with him in tandem in a way. A quick break from the interview to remind you about becoming a member. You can support what I do and help keep the archives freely available for everyone by becoming a member for $5 a month. You'll get a bonus episode with every regular show, plus early access to every show, plus additional bonus material, behind-the-scenes updates. You can become a member today at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks. I also write press releases and artist bios and liner notes for musicians, and I help with social media and sometimes even Wikipedia. You can see samples of my work at cranewrites.com. I'd love to help you, so check out the samples and get in touch. Now, back to the episode.
so for folks who are listening to this, that's uh, saxophone, violin, cello, guitar, bass, drums. And was that the specific combination of instruments you were envisioning when you started to put this music together? Or did you have the music and then you thought, okay, which textures will make this sound the best? Or how, how did that work for you? I think I, I actually originally wrote the music for quartet. We did a few quartet concerts and then I decided to augment it and rewrite it and rearrange it for um, Sextet. So we actually have two books. I think I, I, I put a, um, I wrote a set to just experiment on a, you know, small local gig here in Brooklyn, as you do, as we often do here, where we just like, we try something out and workshop it here. And then, um, so I have two different books, um, really. I have a, a quartet book and a sextet book. And the sextet, they they are not really the same. Like the, the sextet is um, more elaborate, more written out, more um, uh, parts. And uh, But we have toured the quartet because it's also a simpler version to tour with. So I'd like to dive just a little bit more into that idea of the frameworks that you create um, to use to use the word that you used earlier. Can you say just more about that? What what do the musicians get, and mm-hmm. um, how much you know? How much direction? How much composed material? Because one thing I like about this record, and I know that this is a often a trope of records that I feature on this show because it's apparently music that I like. But one thing I like are records where sometimes you can't really tell. Like if someone said, yeah, this is all written, you would say, okay. And if someone said, this is all improvised, you say, yeah, I believe that too. And I kind of like those pieces a lot that blur the line. So I'm curious in your own compositions, how that worked. Yeah. Different for every piece. Like like I, I try to kind of find a different um, approach on every piece, so there's no like not like a stock kind of um, approach. And oh, here we go. Here's another vamp that we play over or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's it's different for every piece. Like for example, the opener, which is called um, Anticipation, I have very very short improvisations woven through the whole piece, for, through the whole opening section, so that. Um, there are basically formatas where the combinations change every time and then repeat it's different combinations so that it feels more like a um a texture with with these kind of short interruptions of of people improvising there's a, there's a few of them for example the last quiet place has a, a chord sequence for me but the um the chords are not they're derived from a, a 12 tone row so they have very strange extensions um, and they are uh, the form is also a form that is very fluid. Like it's it, it's not fluid; it's a fixed form. But the bar number, the bar structure is very uh, it it grows, and uh, sometimes you have measures of five, of six, and it grows, but and it shrinks again. So it's it's a although on the surface it sounds like a little bit like a pop song almost. The structure is actually. Um, uh, not as predictable as a pop song might be. There is one piece where Brandon, the oldest strings and Brandon have this kind of line that they're supposed to play almost like a prayer underneath. Um, so they, it, it sounds like speech, but they don't have fixed pitches. This is the beginning of chant. I think it, it starts. It sounds a little bit like da 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 da. So it's not really. Um, uh, 
uh, fixed notation, but more the directions of, of pitches. Um, there's a there's sometimes there's a vamp that somebody solos over, but I, when I do write vamps, I try to make them fairly long and fairly complex, so it's not uh, it doesn't just become three measures and here we go. Now we do this for twenty minutes or so. Um, there is uh, one piece where Tomika Brandon. Maz and I have a kind of a, a repetitive figure that sounds like da, 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 that gradually um, we're, we're, that gradually becomes a cluster that sort of moves downwards, and I think I gave Tom the instruction to to put his hi-hats onto the snare drum and kind of just do something swooshy with those sounds, and Michael is improvising over a different. So basically, a lot of different scenarios that I feel like. Uh, fitted the piece. Um, most of the time, the playing is very open, like the improvising is very open, and people just connect the dots or know that they um, go from A to B and somehow have to find a transition. But as I said, sometimes there's a little bit more concise instruction or form when I when I uh, needed it basically to move the music on. I do always think of like a 50 minute kind of curve like in other words like putting together a set you mean or uh yeah like even when i you know i as i i have this kind of you know when i have this kind of map of a of a set i will kind of think like who's solo where who's solo you know like i, I kind of try and think of the overall as well of as well as um of the the, the pieces within the overall <laughs> The kind of sonic question I wanted to ask you about, I can't remember the last time I ever asked anyone a question about their own sound on their instrument. Mm -hmm. I love the sound of your saxophone. And I also really love the fact that you sound like yourself and like the same person when you're playing soprano too. I often oh. think that people who double on soprano, all of a sudden it sounds like, oh, there's a, another musician who's come into, <laughs> into the chat now. <laughs> I wonder who this is. Oh, it's and you sound like yourself on both instruments, which, and I love the way both of those sound. So A, partly this is a chance for me to say that nice thing, but B, <laughs> um, do you remember ever coming to a place where you thought, okay, yeah, this is how I sound. Like, I feel now like this is what I sound like on my instrument. Do you, do you remember that process of, of evolution, if it was a process of evolution? That's a really good question. And I would probably have to think about this. You're more than welcome to think about it. Like, I feel this is a gradual process. 
but I think I only came into sort of maybe closer to something that is my personal sound. I think once I started improvising freely and getting away from uh, the the uh, jazz per se, like when I, when I started em embracing other forms of improvisation or free improvisation, I, I just discovered so much about my sound, you know, um, because I guess like before then I had been emulating other players more. I transcribed a lot, you know, so so this is all somewhere in there. But I think that was the time, you know, when you when you're in a free improvisation setting, you might want to try and like blend with somebody else's sound or you might you're imagining a sound that you don't quite know how to get. So you're experimenting, you're experimenting with your in terms of saxophone, you're experimenting with your embouchure, with your larynx, with your throat, with everything that's like part of your um physicality and you arrive at different colors and a different like you you figure out stuff you discover things that you you would not discover maybe in a in a practice session as much so i think that from then on like i sort of gradually figured out what is actually me within all of this and you know obviously that's an ongoing process i don't think they'll ever really end i hope that will not will not end I'm actually always kind of slightly disappointed if I don't find something new. And oh, so say say more about that. Tell, tell me more about that uh, and about that process of finding something new or what you might find. What's an example? It's just of like kind of within and <clears throat> sorry to interrupt, but I think it's just with within an improvised context. You're kind of trying to access something that that is fresh or that is new or that is like um, a surprise to yourself. And by that, do you mean sonically or uh, new, you know, melodic or harmonic ideas or all of those things? All of those things. And so I guess the natural question is, how do you put yourself in a position where that can happen? It seems a hard thing to do for yourself. Um, I, I don't know. I think like, you know, in, in this world, like in this field, like if you play with people, something always comes up right like because you don't especially when you do embrace improvisation you you don't know what people will throw your way even if you know the player very well you still don't really know what's coming your way so there's always this element of like having to be on your toes and having to kind of um uh uh be very alert in a in a good way in a positive way in a just very in a focused kind of way do you still find that even I use the word even there. I was going to say even with Tom. I don't know if even is a fair word there. But uh, for example, you guys did a lot of duet stuff during the pandemic, and mm -hmm. um, but that still felt very like like raw and real. E even mm -hmm. though if there was any person you could say you have a, a decent knowledge of, you would hope <laughs> that it would be each other. <laughs> um, but do you still find that you can push each other in that way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we also, you know, we, we work on a lot of different stuff together. So sometimes it's just the nature of the, the written music that pushes us or that, you know, makes us go into a different direction. But especially as the duet, like to, um, and the, you bring up the, the Stir Crazy series during, during the pandemic, that was just like so challenging in a good way because um, we only had the two of us to work with. So, you know, we, and we were going for really kind of strange things like taking a Braxton opera or like take and using fragments of that to 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 play as a duet you know some kind of just really um 
uh, challenging things for us, you know. Uh, so, so I think for us, it's the balance between working on composition and on orchestration together and free improvisation that, that keeps it fresh in a way. One of the pieces on The Last Quiet Place is called Grammy Season. Can you tell me about that title, which makes me laugh each time I think about it? Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> I, I hoped so, yeah. I would say it's something that's not going to happen to me. <laughs> Fair enough. At least I can't yeah. see it. <laughs> I, I hoped it was snarky, and I'm glad that it, that it <laughs> is. Definitely snarky. <laughs> We're uh, kind of drawing to a close. Uh, just looking ahead or looking beyond the last quiet place, are there any other uh, projects that you're working on or that are coming up that you might want to mention? Yes, um, I am. Well, actually, it's a few projects. Like I am working on I'm, I, on another release that's coming out in the fall that I've been working on for a few years now, which is uh, features these like big drone and taped pre-taped pieces with improvisers on top that, that uh, it is called monochromes and features Zena Parkins and John Irabagon and Tom and I. And it's a really, a really different and new adventure for me because, um, uh, yeah, this, it has these like very, very huge layered pieces that I recorded and we improvise on top of it. And it, 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 I turned this into this um, 50 minute long onslaught, which I'm quite happy about. Um, I'm also working on a poetry cycle on putting a um, 60 poems to music. I've so far recorded 30 of them. Um, these are very short miniature kind of songs for, for four different duets. And I guess it's another, this will take me another year and a half at least to accomplish, but I have the first 30 written and recorded and super happy with it. This is um, to poetry by Erica Hunt, who's a, a great poet who I also know personally. Um, and, and it includes the reading of the text? No, I've turned them into songs. Okay. Yeah, so another kind of new thing for me, really. Um, and I am also, I have a new group that I just put together that we, that I uh, called Lilith with younger musicians who I didn't know that well. And I felt like having come out of the pandemic this is the kind of perfect timing to do this you know to also give some young musicians maybe a chance and um these are all players that i either have not played with much or um but i've heard and really liked and this band is called lilith 
um, we just did a few concerts, uh, and I'm hoping to record that next year. And oh, that's the wonderful. last thing that I'm working on is a, a piece for a two piano, two percussion group called Yarn Wire that I'm also soloing on. They're a new music group. Um, and I've been a fan for a long time. So I'm very, very excited about that. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff. I'm basically having my fingers on at the moment. That's fabulous. Uh, my guest is Ingrid Lobrock. The new album is called The Last Quiet Place. It's been such a joy to have you back on the show, and I promise it won't be 13 years before we <laughs> do it again. That's Thank okay. you so much for being here. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Jason. <for> being <laughs> Thanks to my guest, Ingrid Lobrock. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. Message me for more info about Sarah. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow The Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh and on Instagram and TikTok at The Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, my poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. I've got another general interest interview podcast called A Brief Chat that you might want to check out wherever you find your podcasts or directly at abriefchat.com. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.